I want to start with two scriptures, uh, then a, a little story and a few stories that are going to illustrate scriptures. Jesus taught in stories which illustrated greater truths. And often he didn't explain them, but he told the story that, that we'd, we'd have to go dig in and find him. And I think the scriptures are the same today. Sometimes we read it and we don't get it immediately, but it's because God is inviting us into relationship with him. It's not theory. Uh, it's good to go and study theology. I encourage you to go study theology, but it should not be about information, but transform, transformation. So let's read that first scripture. This is Ephesians 1, verse 7, out of the NLT. You may or may not have this version, but I love the way it's written here. He is so rich, say rich together, which means he's wealthy in kindness and grace, that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave us our sins. We could spend months just talking about that one sentence. He showed us his kindness, so he showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. We have to trust God. His kindness is good. His kindness makes sense to us at times. Sometimes it's difficult to understand what God's doing, but we must trust that He knows what He's doing. God has now revealed to us His mysterious plan regarding Christ, a plan to fulfill His own good pleasure. And this is the plan. At the right time, He'll bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Say everything. In heaven and on earth. No matter what turmoil we're walking through, when you look at the news, uh, there's terrible stuff going down. We, we, we live in, a, in many ways a broken planet that God is restoring. He's restoring to what He originally made it to be. Verse 11, Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for He chose us in advance, and He makes everything work out according to His plan. If you're going through a tough time this morning, God is working out stuff your life. God is sovereign. He is in control. He is in charge. There's times where we go through difficult things and maybe God even seems distant from us, but we can't approach God with feelings. We approach God with faith. There's moments where we, have, we feel and know the exhilaration of God and the Holy Spirit. There's other moments where we're not, but we, we, don't, we remain faithful in those times. Um, God's purpose, and this is what we're going to speak on today, was that we the Jews, this is Paul speaking, we Jews who were first to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles, which is us, have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, He, had, he identified you as His own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom He promised long ago. This, uh, the Spirit of God, is guaranteed that He'll give us an inheritance that He's promised and what he has purchased to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. Before Jesus, we were alienated from God. Jesus came, died on the cross, rose again on the third day. He satisfied not only the sin, our sinful nature, because he was perfectly sinless, but he also he satisfied the just, the justice of God. God. God had to punish sin, and the only way that he could that the thing could hold would make sense is that Jesus Christ, his only son, a perfect the only perfect man to ever walk this planet died on the cross in our place. This, we, must, we can never forget the reason why we are here as Christians. And I love what it says that God's purpose was that we would find praise and glory in Him. And then I want to read out the message, just a part of it. It's in Christ that we find out who we are 
and what we are living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, He had His eye on us. He had designs on us for glorious living, part of the overall purpose He is working out in everything and everyone. God, before the creation of this world, knew you were going to live in Dubai, and we transferred to Dubai, moved to Dubai at this time, and in Acts 17 it said, said somehow we'd reach out and find Him. But it's also so we can find our purpose. And we're answering the question today, why am I here? This is a philosophical question that has been asked over the centuries. Last year, last week, we we discussed around that we're here to worship God, we're here to exalt Him and glorify Him, but often there's idols that get in the way. Idols aren't often, they're not uh, little statues that we put at the entrance of our house, which, like I said last week, if that is the case, destroy that thing. Uh, An idol is a good thing that becomes the ultimate thing. So it could be a job, a career, a family, which out of sync with putting God first is eventually become an idol and eventually going to start sacrificing to that idol. For example, work. uh, I read last week that uh, what Tim Keller wrote, and he says that we, we start to perform child sacrifice in a sense because we're sacrificing spending time with our kids so we can get further in our career and get more successful and become more wealthy. And it's because we've put idols in place. And I want to talk and hone in about what is our purpose on this planet. I spoke last week about how we're this little dot in the universe spinning around the sun. There's countless stars. Um, I saw something on Facebook this week um, of this little um, square like, that they took off a telescope. And then they kind of zoomed in and zoomed in and zoomed in. And I found out that there was many galaxies within a little square like that big. And uh, you just think, God... And in, in, in the Psalms it says, Who is man that you are mindful of him? God is mindful of us. Which is just a crazy thing. Like an, an almost an agnostic kind of worldview is looking from the, that, that, that there's some kind of higher power or higher being, but we can never attain to him. We can never reach him. Other religions, it speaks about something that we have to do to get our way to the Father, to, to the King. But we'll never get there. That's why Jesus had to come and bridge the gap. It's why Jesus came to restore the relationship that was lost in Eden. I was reading a book this week by A.W. Tozer. Who's heard of him? Great book. Uh, This one is What Has Happened to Our Worship. Brilliant. There's lots of books that he's written about worship. Just incredible, incredible stuff. And he he was telling the story about um, uh, he was sitting on a bench. I think he lived in Chicago. And he was waiting for a friend that he was going to meet. And uh, so what happened, this, uh, while he was waiting, this guy came up to him, and he looked very dazed and confused. He, kind of, he was kind of patting his pockets. He's like, I don't know who I am. I don't know. I've lost my wallet. I don't have any idea on me. Um, I, I think I was robbed. He had a big kind of bump on his head. And uh, kind of A.W. Tozer looks, looks up at him, starts asking him questions like, do you remember your name? Do you remember where you're from? The guy couldn't remember anything. And... Um, and just before A.W. Tozer was going to take him to like a local police station to try to get his fingerprints and get all that, someone shouted from across the street his name. He said, just call him Peter. Hey, Peter! And the guy didn't t- obviously turn around because he, for- he, was- he had a uh, loss of memory. And uh, the guy walked up to him, walked up to him and said, listen, where are you? We've been looking for in this. Obviously, the guy who lost his memory looked at him. He's like, I don't know who you are. He says, your name is Peter. Again, as an example, um, and you played the violin in the Philharmonic Orchestra. And anyway, this guy ended up taking him away. And I, I want to bring that point in because I think before Jesus Christ, if you look at the story that we believe in Genesis, that man was born into paradise, 
a few chapters later, the end, man ends up eating of the fruit of, of the knowledge of good and evil, and uh, disobeys God. There's dramatic uh, repercussions that happen from that point. Ever since that point, mankind has fallen into sin, and in many ways we're walking around with amnesia. Is that the right word? Yeah. Right. We're walking around with amnesia. We don't know why we're here. We don't know what our purpose is. Throughout the centuries, people have built idols. They've made demigods. They've made people gods. So God comes along and He writes Himself into the fabric of society by sending Jesus Christ. And He gives us purpose. He gives us a reason why we're actually alive. He gives us a focal point. He says, listen, I've always been here. I created everything. Everything you see around me, I created. Romans 1 says that through what has been created, we can see who God is. So all men, every, you and me are left without excuse, even if we haven't heard the gospel. I was pondering the question, the age-old question, what about those who don't hear? Who's, who's asked that question before? It's, I don't think it can be answered in, in two minutes, but I believe this. I believe what the scriptures say. I believe that in Acts 17, it says God placed us at certain periods and certain times that we would somehow reach out to Him. I believe that the scriptures speak about that we can see from the, the, the way nature works the way the world works, that there clearly was a creator. And if God says we can find, we can find him. But ultimately, the sacrifice was found through Jesus Christ. That's why we proclaim the gospel. We proclaim who Jesus is so we can give the world purpose and understanding and a focus and uh, that he is the only way that we can get to heaven. Only through Jesus Christ. He is, he is, there is no other way that ultimately, if I look at stories of people who have been genuinely seeking God, God, Jesus comes and meets them in a dream. I've heard countless stories. Bossy works into quite difficult areas, and he'll tell you that there's stories of people who've had dreams about Jesus Christ until they finally surrendered their lives to him. Jesus is passionate about those who don't know him. He came to restore relationship. He came uh, so we could understand why we've been made alive, so we don't have to walk around in darkness. I read this last week by St. Augustine. It says, You made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they can find rest in you. Jesus, if he, if he is the only peace. He is the part that is missing in your life. John Piper says this. He says, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Our lives of worship. Missions exist because worship doesn't yet. Worship is the ultimate. Now when I talk about worship, you may think, of the two songs that we did before. Worship is ultimately a state of heart. It's a surrender to Jesus. It's putting Jesus first in our lives. But I want to kind of hone down into the importance just quickly about the importance of us actually singing songs. Why we do it. Why we ask people to stop drinking coffee and come and sit down and focus. Because the, the, the main focus of why we... It's the only part, main, maybe the main, only part of your week where you're completely selfless. There's no selfish agenda. We come to Jesus and we worship Him because He's good. It's why we have to sing good theology. It's why we have to sing songs that uplift us because we're singing about this powerful King and what He's going to do. Isaiah 12.5 says, Sing to the Lord, for He has done glorious things. Let this be known across the world. We sing to proclaim who He is. Uh, Psalm 40 verse 3, He has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God, Many will see what he has done and will put their trust in the Lord. We sing because we're proclaiming who Jesus is so people who are walking here who don't know Jesus can know that we're singing about something greater than ourselves. It's not, it's not just a, a fun thing we do before church as a, as a prelude to the preach. 
That's why for me, I want to do two songs up front today and end off with worship because that is the ultimate thing. A worshiping church is a church that changes the world. A worshiping church is one who knows God. And, uh, and I, 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 just, I mentioned that song last week with Matt Redman wrote, I'm coming back to the heart of worship and it's all about you. It's about Jesus Christ, exalting Him, giving Him first place in our life. So I've got two points. Let's have a bit of water. Can we turn to, turn to Revelation 1, please? I'm not going to talk about end times. It's all going to happen in the end. Jesus is going to rule, and we're going to worship and bow to him. That's, that's Revelation summarized, okay? No, I know it's more than that. Rom's probably thinking, damn, no, we have to go deeper. Um, this is a title in my Bible. says, The Revelation to John. And it says this, starts out, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants and the things that must soon take place. It's amazing when the Bible says soon, it hasn't quite happened yet. So 2,000 years later, God soon is different to us soon. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ and to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads this aloud. The words of the prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and who keep what is written, for the time is near. And uh, I want to just start, if we want to look at worship, so I'm talking about worship in our lives and worship as songs we sing. They, there's no difference, they, they're interchangeable. Worship is us showing adoration to the King above everything else. So, first point is this worship begins and ends with the revelation of Jesus. Worship begins and ends in in a revelation of Jesus. We find uh, our purpose in Him. We find our focus in Him. We find why we've been made. I remember the moment, uh, I was probably 17. It happened before. I remember clearly uh, sitting in my bed one day. uh, We used to live in in, in, south of Johannesburg and just praying a prayer to ask God into my life. Uh, Maybe 10, 10 years later, after running from God a little bit, came back to Him, bowed my knee to Him, Surrendered everything to him. He revealed who he was to me. Now we look at the word revelation. I think Ryan may have taught on this at times. But a revelation is a revealing of what was concealed. So it's like a, you, look, you want to look behind the curtain. You, you open up. We, we went to the UK recently and our curtains were closed when we woke up. When we opened them up, there was like snow that has fallen. It was a good revelation. We had a, re- a revealing of snow to us. Um, another example of of, of what a, a revealing is, is that if we were, say, all part of a wedding and we were waiting for the bride to come and, you know, we stand up and the bride's fashionably late always and uh, they kind of walk down and everyone's waiting for the revealing of the bride. That's, in a sense, what we have to, when we, when we approach Jesus, that it's not just face value, that when we go into His Word, we can go deeper and He's, and he's revealing more of who He is to us. My greatest prayer of late is that, God, I want to know you more. That's, I, I, I pray about a lot of things. I pray about people in the church. I pray uh, for unity. I pray, Lord, that, that God would just uh, bless this church in, in, in innumerable ways with, with people, with finances, for His glory and His purpose. And I pray for people that are going to go on an adventure in God and do all these incredible, incredible things. But the greatest prayer I pray is I, I need to know you more, Jesus. And God is answering that. 
Sometimes I'm praying that prayer. I don't know if you guys have heard that where you're praying and then you're like, God, just come reveal yourself now. And I'm like, you're kind of waiting, you know, like something's going to happen. It doesn't normally happen. Like sometimes it will if you've got faith for that, maybe. But generally it's just God just starts to reveal more and more of who He is in our lives. And pitching situations that, uh, want, that makes you cry out to Him even more. A.W. Tozer says this famous quote, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing to us. And I think before we even do absolutely anything for, G- for Jesus and even think about getting on justice and getting on missions and doing all this stuff, we have to have a revelation of Jesus. Otherwise, you're going to look back five years into your Christianity and you're going to say, wow, that was a waste of my time because you were doing it out of your own selfish, for, either for selfish gain or to try to appease someone or to try to appease God. We have to have a revelation first and foremost of Jesus Christ. Now, this is uh, the guy who wrote this was the Apostle John. He was called the apostle of the chest. He lay on Jesus' chest. He knew Jesus the most intimately. He kind of, a few times throughout the book he, of John, the Gospel of John, he writes, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Isn't that a crazy thing? Imagine writing a book. I mean, I know I could write it about Stala. So I'm Stala's husband whom she loved. But John was so convinced that he was Jesus' favorite that he just wrote it about three or four times throughout the book of John. It's just a, a crazy thing. So he, was, he knew Jesus intimately. He knew Jesus as he walked on the earth. He'd seen Jesus go through pain. He had seen Jesus sweat blood as he's about to go into Calvary. He had seen Jesus as uh, when one of his friends died, when Lazarus died, it says Jesus wept. And obviously Jesus rose him from the dead. Um, but th- there was moments where, where John walked so closely with, with Jesus that uh, Jesus, he was, there was like the 12, but then there was the three that were the favorites. You know, like uh, Stala is her grand grandfather's favorite. We actually joke about it. Like, uh, Jordi, even her little brother, says um, when the inheritance time comes, it's going to bypass her mom, it's going to bypass the, her mom's brother, and it's going to go straight to Stala. And I'm honestly convinced that's going to happen. She is the favorite. And he even said to her, he says, you know, Jesus had favorites, and you're my favorite. So anyway, don't tell her other siblings. But she clearly was the favorite. <clears throat> So, Jesus, uh, so John knew Jesus intimately. He knew him. And then years go by, uh, John ends up kind of pastoring a church in Ephesus. They say that the church in its entirety was 50,000 people, which is just crazy. I mean, not that he had one venue. Then it was very much a house church kind of movement that went across the, world, uh, across the city. But in a city of 250,000 people, 300,000 people, 50,000 believers, that's quite a thing. He was such a threat to the empire that they actually they try to boil him in oil. This is this is you can go read this in that thing, the Fox's Book of Martyrs, and um, they try to boil him in oil. He wouldn't die miraculously. Gets pulled out of the oil. They thought, okay, what are we going to do with this guy? He's preaching the gospel. He's leading. He's this apostle of love. He just is. He's showing the love of God. He eventually gets um, kicked onto onto the island of Patmos, where there's literally no one. And then in that moment, in verse 9, it says that he was found in the Spirit and he was worshiping Jesus. And he has, so he goes from this place of knowing God on earth. He serves Jesus faithfully for years. We don't know how long it was. But then he gets thrown onto this island and and he gets one of the greatest prophecies and revelations in the Bible. And uh, for me, it is just amazing that John John knew knew Jesus. He knew Jesus in in the state where he was the servant suffering one who walked alongside us, but he also knew him as the exalted king. And I think our revelation of Jesus has to be both. 
When Jesus is on the boat, we can't just have someone that's, that's going to just hang with us. And Jesus is close. When you're going through tough times, and some people are going through tough times, losing family members, all that, Jesus is close to us. But if that's our only revelation of Jesus, he, we won't have the Jesus that stands up with authority and calms the waves. We need to know Jesus in His entirety, that He is meek and humble and loving and, and sacrificial and bows down and, and, and washes people's feet. But He's also the one that, has, that is riding in revelation with, a, that with something written on His thigh, tattooed on His thigh. He's this great and victorious King who, who is going to come and judge the world. And I think we have to have a revelation of who Jesus is before we start to even think about worshiping Him, that He is so close. He's closer than a brother. I love that. I, I mean, I'm a worship leader. My, my most intimate times has been with God, just kind of just hanging out on the couch and just playing my guitar and getting to know Him. There's even times where I've walked through doubt, doubt on different things with looking at the Bible, struggled with certain things. I'd always come back to the point where I can just hang out with Jesus with my guitar. But we have to know Jesus as not only this one that's close to us, but this risen, exalted King, the one who has defeated death, who has defeated sin, he has defeated stuff so we don't have to walk in. Jesus took it on himself on the cross. We need Jesus on the boat who is both with us and also the one who calms the waves. Some people think worship, talking about singing now, is a bit of a waste of time. They're like, can we just get this thing over and done with? I really want to get into the Word. Or I want to just leave here afterwards and I want to go and feed every poor person. And for me, I think the greatest thing we can do as Christians is worship. God will open doors for us to do incredible things for Him. But if it doesn't start from a place of worship, it becomes a social gospel, and it's about work, and it's about doing all these things that kind of can, can look good, and it's, a, and, it's, and it's appeasing to us. But if we are not able to engage God in worship as, and, and be enamored by Him, as we sing songs about Him and fall in love with Him again. And in Revelation again, it says, do not, do not uh, lose your first love. I remember, I've said this before, but the first time that I realized I was in love with Starla, I was in a daze. I, like, I don't know what was happening. The world was spinning around me. I was holding her hand thinking, wow, that is the best hand in the world. And like, there's just, there's stuff happening. You don't know what's happening. And I, I, we, have to, we have to maintain that love for Jesus. God, can we just pray this together? Father, would you, would you give us our first love again? Just pray that over your life. Father, would you give us our first love? Jesus, that it's not about doing stuff. Although that will flow out of loving you, Father. But it's about knowing you, loving you, understanding you. Father, would you come by your Spirit? And your Word says that would we have a spirit of wisdom and of revelation to know you more. I pray for that, Jesus. I pray it over my life. You know you can lay hands on yourself. Amen. You can lay hands on yourself and speak to your soul. You can pray for healing for yourself. You can say, Jesus, yesterday I was sitting uh, on the couch and just like praying for uh, certain things and just kind of, I had to speak to my soul. I had to say, just wake up. There's a living king who's, who's with you right now. And we have to do that sometimes. My second point, I'm missing out on a few things. Worship changes the atmosphere. I heard a story um, recently of uh, a guy is a, a guy leads a church in Ireland. Uh, his name's Alan Scott. Some of you may have heard of him or not, but 
This incredible church, God's doing some amazing stuff. Their, their youth ministry is basically just taking over the whole school. Like weekly, there's like 40 kids getting saved in the school. There's seven, the, when he was speaking, he says just this past week, there were 17 kids that got healed. Uh, to the point where the parents of the, the kids that, that are getting saved, they're like, stop with all this Christian propaganda. They go to the principal. The principal says, we're doing nothing. It's the kids, and we can't stop them. And there's just this incredible movement that God is birthing. They, they're seeing people healed on the streets daily. They're seeing people saved, fully restored. Marriages changed daily because they're stepping out and they're being bold and they're stepping out on the things that God has, has called them to. So he was just telling the story of um, there's a ministry team that came in, through his city. A lot, that, that often happens when you have a church that is influential. A lot of ministries want to come and learn. And this this girl came in humbly and just said, listen, I'm a worship leader. Can I serve in any way? Can I, can I help lead worship? And they just, like, probably my response would be, like, I don't really know you. Uh, well, just can you serve a little bit and kind of get integrated into the church? And, you know, we'll do a little plug then and whatever. Just we want to know you before we actually give you responsibility to lead. So she's, okay, that's fine. Got involved in the church. And what she did is she thought, well, you know, I've got, I've got the spare time. We're here to be a blessing to the city. So she goes to a local pub called Johnson's Pub. And uh, she goes in. She says, listen, I've got two months here. I'll work for free. And uh, so they're like obviously shocked at that. And what she started to do is that she, she stepped in there. She started serving people. She started loving people. She had a smile on her face. She was being Jesus in that place. And eventually those people ended up coming to church. A bunch of them got saved. And then her next trip was off to India. So the pub, in one of their things, took an announcement, and they took up an offering for them to send her to India. And I thought, and what this guy said is that he, she led those people into worship. And that's what we are. We are all worship leaders. We have the responsibility every day of our lives to lead our office into worship because of our servant-heartedness, because we treat people with dignity, because we love those who no one else loves. People start to see that, and they say, what is, what is wrong with you? And they say, you point to the king, and you eventually lead people into worship. I remember watching um, a U2 concert, and uh, who loves U2? It's great. If you don't know who they are, I don't know where you've been living. But um, very spiritual guys, connected with Jesus. Some people will be controversial about that. I know they are. And... Um, they, I remember watching this concert, and he, he, at the middle of the concert, they're, they're kind of doing Where the Streets Have No Name, epic, and he just starts to cry, and he goes, what can I give back to God for the blessings that he's poured out upon me? I lift high this cup of salvation, and he's, he's quoting one of the Psalms, and he eventually leads a group of people who, who probably 95%, if not more, don't know Jesus, but he leads them into worship. We are all worship leaders. If you have a place of influence, you're the head worship leader. You're the guy that's standing here on a Friday. You have a place to lead people into the worship of the living king. And we can change atmospheres over cities. Last scripture, Psalm 8. Actually, second last scripture. Psalm 8. I just want to read just the first part. It says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants... You have established strength over your foes uh, to still the enemy and the avenger. Just, let's look at that. It says that God has set His glory above the heavens. And through the, through the praise of babies and infants, God establishes His throne. 
We read uh, some of the guys quoted in prayer meeting this morning is that through our praise, we, we enthrone the king. There's, the, as we start to worship God, God actually builds a throne. There's stuff that we can't see that is happening in the spiritual realm as we begin to worship over a city. Worship changes the atmosphere. It says that simply through the mouth of children and of babes, God establishes an ambush against the enemy. If you're going through tough times in your life, learn how to praise him. Learn how to worship Him. Stick a CD in. Learn how to, uh, if you have to, close the door and dance before Him. Do whatever you can so you understand, if you have to speak to your soul, until you understand what it means to worship. Another example. Um, in 1994, South Africa was in a moment kind of like it is right now. I'm just using a South African example because that's where I'm from. And um, it's, uh, they were in a moment right now where... where we're on kind of the verge of civil war. Obviously, Mandela was such, a, I think, a, a, a leader that was raised up by God. He came out not with fists blazing and wanting to fight and, and avenge. He came out in the spirit of love. I can tell you right now that can only happen through Jesus Christ. And there's people that I know that have actually was with Mandela. Well, I don't know them personally, but I've heard them speak about it. It says they actually led him to the Lord. So he's had moments where I believe that where he came from was not the spirit of this world. It was from Jesus Christ. Anyway, but I think that the reason South Africa never went into civil war and outright fighting and all that kind of thing is because the church got on its knees and praised and it prayed. Prayed for the city. I met a, a man from Syria. Um, I didn't meet him again. Sorry, I felt like I met him. But he was at this conference that we were at. And uh, he's one of the last churches left in Damascus. And he's like, I'm not leaving this place. I'm in a war-torn city, but I'm going to be the light. I'm going to be the light. As, and he's believing that darkness is fleeing. Even though with his natural eyes, he's seeing absolute disaster around him. He believes that, dark, that darkness is fleeing. Because he's, he's saying the church is here to worship and establish praise. And that's why we don't do worship because it's a fun thing to do. We do it because it's establishing God's authority, His rule, and His reign on our lives. That's why it's much easier to preach when someone's led worship because there's an establishing, whether you know it or not, of God's kingship and He's being enthroned over us, as it says in the Psalms. Can the worship team come up? I want to just uh, share a little story. I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to share it with you guys. And then we're going to go into some time of worship. Um... You all know that song, God of the City? You're the God of the city, you're the king of these people. And um, I'm going to just, I don't want to get the names wrong. <clears throat> There's a place called uh, Pattaya, Thailand. And this is uh, the, the band that wrote the song that says, We're part of a small missions team with a band that went to Pattaya Praise. Pattaya is a small coastal town in Thailand which has been built around the sex industry. There are 30,000 female prostitutes over the age of 18. That doesn't include children, men, and little boys. It's a crazy, crazy place. It's physically dark. It's spiritually dark. And when I drove in, I saw what was going on. I just couldn't see God there at all. And he was just basically saying, we, we try to do all the usual mission stuff. We try to get into churches. We try to kind of sing on the streets. We try to do a bunch of things but the only place that would open for them is a local pub again. And he says, listen, you can come and sing your Christian songs here if you bring at least 30 of your friends and you all come and drink a Coke because Coke is more expensive than alcohol. So I thought, okay, I can easily do that. And as they started to 
praise and sing worship. They went into a time of free worship where it's really you know, like an unscripted time of worship. And they just started to sing over, the, over, the, over this ter- terrible, terrible time, dark, no hope. They started to sing the hope of God. He says, you're the God of the city. You're the king of these people. You're the Lord of this nation. And it became out of a prophetic place in a place of absolute darkness. And I, I really, we're going to start singing that song now. And um, for me, it's the power of worship in our lives cannot be put to something that's 10, 15, 20 minutes before worship, on, before we, we have preached on a Friday. It is the point of the local church. It's to exalt Jesus John Piper said, I read it earlier, he says, admissions exist because worship doesn't. We need to go proclaim the goodness and the grace and the power of Jesus so, the power of, so we can worship in a place. What an incredible, we, we, I really honor the, 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 the leaders of this nation to open, have open doors for us to come and worship God. What an incredible thing. We can establish the, the, the rule and the reign of Jesus Christ through our worship. So can we all stand?